Save big on the brands you love at the Fred Meyer 5 a.m. Black Friday sale. Shop in-store on Black Friday for 50% off socks and underwear. Board games and card games are buy one, get one free. Save on great gifts for everyone, like TVs and appliances. And the first 100 customers on Black Friday will get free gift cards, too. So shop Friday, November 24th and save big. Doors open at 5 a.m., so get there early. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash first paw media. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Canadian Challenge Tales. We are joined by Jessica Reimer from Emigrant Gap, California. How are you today, Jessica? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. You know, so nice to 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 finally find some time where we can have a chat. Uh, I know uh, for those that may be not familiar with the California geography, I think you're just about 60 miles west of Reno, Nevada. Is that right? Yeah, it is. We're up kind of near Lake Tahoe. Is might might be a place people know. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. So you know, uh, really want to get into learning more about your mushing uh, career and how you got involved in dogs. You know, I think it was uh, doing tours. Uh, can you tell us a little more about being a guide uh, with dogs? Yeah, sure. So, so it actually, so I grew up in Yellowknife, Northwest Territories. Um, and so I grew up around dogs. My family themselves didn't mush per se. Um, but you know, there's dog sleds on public transit buses. And every year, Caribou Carnival, there were dog sled races. For a couple of years, we lived on Latham Island, a couple of doors down from the Becks, which are prominent um, sprint mushing family. So I grew up around the sport, but not necessarily participating in the sport. And so for me in my early 20s, my husband and I had just finished doing a mountaineering school in Canmore and we wanted to stay in the Rockies for the winter. And so there was a tour company in town. And so it seemed like a really easy transition and a, and a really good fit to try and get a job as a dog sled guide. Because even though I hadn't mushed as a, as a kid, I grew up with Alaskan Huskies as, as pets. So I knew the breed. I loved being outdoors. And so guiding seemed like a, a really nice fit. And so I spent a winter guiding out of Canmore. And um, it wasn't that point when I was like, oh, I want to do this the rest of my life. It was more just a really fun winter job where I got to tell tourists about the individual dogs that were running that day every single day. And, and um, looking back on that now, my friends would be like, oh, your dream job. You get to talk about dogs all day long and get paid for it because that's literally what I do now. But um, it was it was really fun. It was just it was a beautiful place to be. Um, and I think for me, the, the really coolest part about it was I had grown up with dogs and with Alaskan Huskies. Um, but, you know, when you just have one or two pet dogs, a, a dog's a dog is a dog. You know, they're different than maybe your friend's golden retriever or that sort of thing. But when you're living and working with 100 dogs and, and with individual dogs every single day, I think that was the first time I really got a glimpse of the dogs as individuals, um, their own personalities, their own quirks and quirks. And it's funny to think about now because, you know, all of us who, who run dogs, it's obvious, it's really obvious that every dog is unique and different and has their own individual personality. Um, but at the time, it was kind of really eye-opening for me. So it's probably not surprising that I went on to study wildlife biology. And now I study the ecology of wildlife in the North and their behavior, because I think it kind of really just opened my eyes to individuals as being individuals not just this group of dogs per se yeah no it's certainly um, really interesting as people experience you know much larger kennels you know to, mm -hmm. to see that and especially to jump into a 
a tour kennel like you did with a uh, hundred dogs, you really get immersed in all of that and and trying to learn all the names and and learning about everyone's personality. It must have been such a wonderful time. Um, yeah, it so was so cool. Finished, yeah, after you're finished with tours, uh, I believe you were up in Alaska doing some of your own uh, racing, skijoring and whatnot. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so there was kind of a really big um, time gap in between running tours and heading up to Alaska. So we kind of traveled for a couple of years and then ended up doing our undergrads at University of Calgary. And at that time, we're like, oh, we'll be around for a while. Let's get a dog. Um, so we ended up talking to our old boss in Canmore and they had an accidental litter. So we picked up two little, little puppies from them. And and even though, you know, we had just worked as tour guides and we had these work bred sled dogs, the thought of putting them in harness just never even crossed our minds. At the time we were tree planting every summer. So these two dogs, Nico and Griffin, just ran wild in the bush all summer long, hunting their own food and chasing bears and living like feral wolves pretty much. And then in, during school season, we'd be in Calgary and they'd be running in the urban parks. If anyone's been to Calgary, you know, they have amazing off-leash parks and they'd be running with the coyote packs and chasing deer and they were insane and the thought of putting them in harness to harness that like energy just didn't even I don't know why I think with growing up seeing large sprint teams and then working in a tour kennel with large teams the thought that you could actually do something with just two dogs just didn't it was just a foreign concept to me so then fast forward you know many years and a couple of graduate degrees later and we end up in Alaska and there it was really cool. We were living in Anchorage and our backyard backed onto this really amazing trail system, which in the summer is a really cool bike trail system that connects the whole city. And in the winter, it's all groomed Nordic ski trails and also like walking trails and, and fat bike trails. And so every day we would see people ski touring or bike touring or running canny cross with their dogs in harness, just one or two dogs. And so it kind of was this light bulb moment of, it was really popular in Europe, but we hadn't really seen it before, um, where you could do dog sports and have sled dogs and only have one or two um, and still, you know, have a small team where we could split them up and each ski a dog. Um, so it didn't take long until we added two new dogs to the pack and and joined our local ski tour club and, um, yeah, and started participating in, in small things like that. Um, but um, you can imagine <laughs> you it, that's fun for a few miles and then you want to go farther and you want to go deeper in the backcountry and you want to start exploring more. Um, so we slowly built from there. Right. Well, and I think that's such a huge growing portion of the sport right now because it's more accessible to the majority of people, you know, that have one dog or two. And it doesn't even have to be, you know, Alaskan Huskies or Siberians or whatever. I mean, Lots of dogs out there have energy and are more than happy to pull in a harness. So it's good totally. to see some of that. So after you were, you know, in, in Anchorage, uh, I believe you were helping out with some Iditarod kennels. I'm sure yeah. I'd love to hear more about <laughs> what that was like, you know, for you as part of your learning and, and your journey along the path of dog mushing. Yeah, so it was really cool. When we first moved up to Anchorage, like we had our two older dogs and we hadn't gotten, we took us about two years to jump in and get our ski touring dogs. And so one of the really cool things about living in this kind of heart of mushing territory um, was I was able to volunteer on Iditarod. So I got to go out to a couple of the remote checkpoints, Shaktulik, McGrath, Unilakleet, um, and, and volunteer on the Iditarod Trail for a few years. And it was amazing 
watching the different teams come in and the different training styles and the, you know, you have everything from super structured, organized dogs that can jihad their way through other teams through the yard. And then you have some where you need volunteers leading that team because they have no idea where they're going or what they're doing. And so seeing the different mushers and their styles of training and interacting with their dogs, as well as seeing the different dogs and genetics that came into that dog yard um, was really, really cool. And like as as a biologist and a genetic nerd, um, I was fascinated by the breeding and, and the genetics that were going into those dogs. And then, you know, you're around long enough in, in Alaska and you meet people. And so the two first dogs that we got, um, I knew we wanted we wanted to do long distance stuff and we wanted to be in the back country exploring, even though we were only getting two dogs. Um, but we found an Iditarod kennel that was posting that they had some dogs for sale. So Tim Osmar and Monica Zappa down on the Kenai, we went down, I think it was Christmas Eve, went down to pick up a couple dogs. So um, we went down to the Kenai Peninsula, I think it was Christmas Eve and met Tim Osmar and Monica Zappa and and went to pick up two yearling dogs from them and ended up coming home with two yearlings and an eight-week-old puppy, which was very unplanned. Um, our first two dogs, Nico and Griffin, were absolutely insane puppies. We didn't own a bike that still had a bike seat on it. We couldn't own a garden hose. Um, they chewed through everything you could imagine. So the idea of having another puppy definitely was not on the radar, but somehow they convinced us that we not only needed two yearlings, but also a puppy. So we came home with three dogs um, and also with good friends. So Tim and Monica became really good friends of ours. And we ended up buying a cabin a couple miles down the trail from them and would spend months out there in the winter whenever we had a free chance. Um, and we're able to put our few dogs together with some of their older dogs and we're able to run some bigger teams and, and learn a lot, learn a lot about how they were running a larger kennel how they were training um, and being out on the trail with them. Um, and then, yeah, you're in Alaska. You, you meet people who are running the quest and, and I did it all the time. So it, it was a really amazing place where we could have just a couple dogs, explore, adventure, but still be involved with the bigger races and have friends that were running the bigger races. So it was just such a rich environment to learn from. Oh, it's such sounds so exciting. It just makes me excited <laughs> thinking about it. So then you, you, ended up in California and you have your own kennel now. And can you tell us about how that process was for you having experience from, you know, having a couple dogs on your own to working with some, you know, very talented mushers with large kennels and how you brought some of that home and, and started your own kennel in California? Yeah. So I think one of the things I noticed being in Alaska and visiting different kennels and meeting different mushers was um, I never wanted so many dogs that they couldn't all come in the house or they couldn't all free play in the yard. Um, because we built so slowly, our, yeah, we had working dogs, but they were pet dogs too. Um, so I never wanted to lose that kind of deep connection, daily connection and daily play with my dogs. And so um, we sat at so we had the two dogs and a puppy. And then when the puppy got old enough, we figured he needed a partner. So we added an eight-year-old um, Yukon Quest veteran leader to our pack to kind of bring some maturity to the to the team. Um, and then we ended up a couple years later getting two new puppies. Um, and so when we decided to make the move down to Northern California for work, um, part of the agreement when, when Matt got jo offered the job at UC Davis, um, the first thing I said was, no way, there's no way I'm leaving Alaska. What are we, what am I supposed to do there? 
But anyways, so he get, he jumps on Instagram, which is this amazing tool for connecting people, I feel like, um, and finds that there was a local musher in the area. Um, her name's Alyssa. We're really good friends now, but she was amazing on social media and posting about running dogs in the Sierra. And so we happened to be in the lower 48 at the time with the team. And so I I just kind of shot her a message, shot in the dark and said, hey, I'm a local musher. We're thinking of moving to the area. And she was like, well, come on by. And so we ended up going out and running dogs together. And it just seemed like California was going to work. There's a lot. Of, my friends in Alaska, every time I post snowy photos, they're like, where are you? And how do you, what do you mean? I thought you moved to California. Why is there snow there? Um, but I would say we have more, probably more trails and more snow than we had in Alaska here um and the thing about californians is they don't recreate in the dark so if we go out to train at night we don't see another soul out there so we have amazing access to trails and training but part so part of the deal though with my with matt my husband was if we were going to move to california then um i was going to be allowed to have a litter of puppies <laughs> so so we moved down with six dogs um and then april 2020 is when we moved down you know the start of the pandemic and everything was crazy and that september we did a breeding and we had seven puppies and we ended up keeping five of them so that brought us up to 12 dogs, which is our, our max. <laughs> that's, that's the limit of what we're doing. But it also means that we right now have a really young team. We have five two-year-olds and we have seven very experienced, very happy, um, mature, great experienced dogs. Um, but the, the two-year-olds definitely run the energy of the team right now. Oh, that sounds so exciting. Given that team size, um, you started into racing and I know you... Uh, did really well at the Eagle Cap race last year in the Six Dog event. I believe you won by a fair bit. Um, so what was it like sort of jumping into racing in the lower 48 uh, as opposed to your time in Alaska? Yeah, I think one of the really cool things and what was exciting about moving to the lower 48 is that in Alaska, so I, I grew up doing long distance trips, whether it was canoeing or hiking or backpacking. And so I really loved, you know, the idea of these thousand mile races. And so, you know, with four dogs, you're not going to run a thousand miles, but with six dogs, you could easily do a hundred. And so in Alaska, it seemed like there was a bit of a barrier in terms of how many dogs you needed to do these larger, longer races. And so we ended up doing a lot of sprint racing just because we only had four dogs and that's you know with our mid-distance dogs it it was it was fun it was a good experience but it's not like what really you know by six miles my dogs are just getting warmed up and the sprint dogs are finishing and so what was really cool about moving to the lower 48 is there are a lot of opportunities to run longer races whether it be 60 miles or 100 miles with a six or eight dog team and so that's kind of what spurred us to have the litter of puppies and to build up our kennel so we have about nine nine of our dogs are our younger what I would call the race team that those are the ones that are training the longer miles and so last year we had five yearlings and so we weren't quite ready to start the 100 mile races yet but we decided to enter the eagle cap 62 miles so it's 31 miles over each day for two days so we thought that'd be a good break it'd be a nice experience for the younger dogs um and so the first day we we started out and i just was on it's a really hilly trail which is beautiful it's similar to what we train on and i just held them back and held them back and stayed on the break as hard as i could because they were just roaring and they just would get so excited around every bend whether it was uphill or downhill they would just charge into every corner um and but i held them back so i was like i don't want to burn them out i know i've heard the stories i don't want to burn my team out 
and they did great day one. And so day two, I was like, you know what? I'm going to let off the brake a little bit and just kind of see what they have. And they just flew. They absolutely flew. And at the finish line, they're wagging tails and super happy and happy to eat. And, and so it was really exciting to see how play training conservatively and um, running conservatively really paid off. And it was a, a little glimpse into, you know, my dogs are capable of much more <laughs> um, than, I, than I let them do. Um, and so they're willing to run longer and faster and harder. And I'm, I'm always on the side of, I want to make sure that they're happy and having a good time and not running too hard or too fast. Um, so it was really, it was really eye opening for me to, to see what they're capable of, but also a really good confirmation of that the training that we're doing with them was really successful as well. So it was a very exciting race, um, but because we had such a young team, that was the only race we did last year, and we're really excited to bump up and try the 100 milers this year. Yeah, it sounds like you have quite a busy uh, race schedule this year. Can you tell us more about what you have planned for this season? Yeah, so I, in the spring, or in the yeah, fall, I guess. Um, I waffled back and forth, like, oh, are they ready for 100 milers? Are they not? Should we just do Eagle Cap again, the 62 miler? Um, at the end of the day, we kind of decided, well, you know what, let's sign up for the 100 miler. Um, so we signed up for the Eagle Cap 100 mile. Um, and then we're like, well, you know, why don't we sign up for the Idaho Sled Dog Challenge too? And so we signed up for the Idaho Sled Dog Challenge 100 miler. And then we're like, well, we might as well do the Triple Crown, which is the Eagle Cap Idaho Sled Dog dog challenge and then the Montana race to the sky. Um, so we signed up for those three. And then I have Canadian challenge has been if if there was one race um, in all of the races I've ever heard about Canadian challenge is one I've always wanted to do ever since I only had two dogs. Um, and so I was like, well, we're already going to be on the road. Let's go up and do the Canadian Challenge 50. Um, because our young dogs have been raised in California, warm, sunny California, I figured if it's going to be minus 40 in Larange, um, we might just want to start with the 50 miler. So we signed up for the Canadian Challenge. And then I got an email from Underdog up in Yellowknife, which is our home, you know, my hometown, um, asking if we wanted to run the Underdogs. We had signed up a couple of years ago, but it was during the pandemic, so they had to cancel. Um, so anyways, we got I got that email saying, you know, we still have your registration fee if you if you want to come up for the race. And I was like, well, what's what's one more at this point? So yeah, we've got a busy reschedule and we're going to be on the road for the next about two and a half months, but um, our dogs are well seasoned in traveling and, and love exploring new trails. So it should be a really fun winter. Yeah. And it certainly sounds like it's going to be a, a learning experience and, and quite a, quite a journey for you and, and the dogs. Is Matt uh, also involved with the dogs? Is he helping uh, with uh, all of your racing and, and the dog care too? Yeah, I don't think you can be partners with someone <laughs> with 12 dogs and not be part of everything that's going on. Um, he His work is a little more stringent in him having to be, you know, on campus or in the office. So he has a little less flexibility than I do. Um, but he's definitely involved in everyday, you know, things here around. And when he does have the chance, we love to go out with two six dog teams and, and go camping and and go exploring, which is why we got dogs in the first place. Um, but he's going to come out for, I think he'll be out for about half the races to help um, to set the start line and, you know, be that friendly face at the checkpoint for us to see in the middle of the night when we're cold and tired and, and just need someone to hand us a juice box. Um, I think, yeah, he'll, he'll be around for a lot of that. 
Oh, it's so nice to see when when um, you know people are able to come together, you know, with similar interests and and enjoy it together, right? And especially with yeah. Matt being able to get on the runners too, I think that's really important for people that he isn't just always in the yard looking after things and feel left out when you're gone with all of them, <laughs> right? You know, totally, we did. Yeah. I mean, his, his favorite, he gets on the runners and it's fun when we're going out camping or doing something like that, but his real, what he really loves to do is he loves ski jewelry. So he loves taking our older dogs out um, to go on some fast ski runs and, and loves to run them that way. That's, I think his forte and, and why he was excited to get into dogs. Being on the runners is fine for him, but he finds it a little boring. So <laughs> he would rather be participating in, in the sport. And, you know, I say, well, I'm running up hills, like I'm participating too, but for him, he really is super athlete and he likes to be right in there working as hard as the dogs are. So the, when he can ski tour with the dog, so every race, um, we have a funny story where Eagle Cap last year. So every race or every time we go somewhere, Matt always takes the dogs that aren't racing and we'll ski tour with them. And so Eagle Cap last year, we had a couple of friends who came out who had dogs. And, and so they after all of us took off from the start line, they asked the organizers, oh, can we ski Jewer up the trail? Um, and they kind of looked at them and were like, yeah, I guess so. Um, not realizing that the trail was super steep and super crazy. And it just turned into, they always have more adventures than I ever do on the trail. Um, trying to ski Jewer the older dogs around all sorts of crazy conditions and crazy trails all over the place. So definitely he's involved, um, but he was happy to leave the actual dog sledding, the sled part to me, and he'll just go do all the fun side sports with the dogs. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Given that you have a relatively new kennel, uh, our social media question for you uh, comes from uh, Tony Ryder. And her question is, if you could, if money were no object, what improvements would you make to your kennel or team? Ooh, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think we've been really fortunate in building our kennel and our team really slowly and have had um, the privilege of seeing how so many other mushers do it and train dogs. And so as I mentioned in the beginning, um, I never wanted to have a kennel where the dogs weren't free running every day, weren't coming in the house, weren't part of our daily lives. Um, I didn't want to just have, you know, dogs on chains. I really wanted just, you know, 12 pets that I got to go adventure with. Um, so when we moved down to California, we were really lucky to be able to purchase 10 acres. Um, and so we have, we have a two acre fenced in yard where the dogs free play twice a day. Um, and then they each have their own, they're not on tethers, they're in their own kind of fenced in um, 10 by 10 little little cubes side by side each other. Um, I always, when we had a smaller team, we always had the dogs paired up in, in kennels in, in pairs. And this new litter of pups we have, they love their personal space. So they each have their own little kennel, um, and they get out twice a day and they come in the house and they hang out. Um, so I don't know. I feel like because we built so slowly and we were really intentional about the dogs that we added and, and the way that we built things, I don't think there's much I, I would change. Um, 
We have a really fun van that's kitted out. We have a sprinter van and trailer that's kitted out for us to go on the road whenever we want. So we're able to, we have a small enough team that everyone can fit in the dog and trailer and we'll go out camping at a trailhead for a week at, the, at a time. We just got that all last week. We had huge storms rage through here. So we, I just went up to the trailhead where, where some of our longer miles are and we just camped out for the week to ride out the storm and be able to train rather than getting stuck down here at, on the property where we can't really train from the yard um so it's that's a great question i wish i had a better answer but i think i i feel very privileged to be able to say we've built slowly and intentionally so that there isn't really much i i would change about how we've done things so i know you have a very busy race schedule uh for anybody that wants to follow along on your progress i i believe you're pretty active on on instagram but is there places where people can find you and and follow along on your progress this year yeah, so we, we do. We built a website this year. Um, it's called it's just rhymerpack.com. Um, if you're American, it's spelled R-E-I-M-E-R pack.com. I know most Canadians know that Mennonite name, um, but um, rhymerpack.com, we have our race schedule up there. We have introduction to the dogs. We have a bit of our origin story. Um, and I'm hoping once we, see, once we do a couple of races, I might start up a blog on there so I can give some race recaps as well. Um, but that's a great place. But otherwise on Instagram, you know, I post there almost every day or every second day of our training runs or puppy shenanigans or, you know, fun things that are happening around here in the Sierra. So Jess Reimer um, on Instagram is where, you, where we're most active for sure. Yeah, I'll make sure we include a link to your website and, and your Instagram as well in the show notes below. So anybody listening can easily click on that and, and find you and follow along. Uh, I always want to give people a chance because the, nobody can do this dog mushing thing <laughs> on their own. And we've talked a lot about Matt's involvement, uh, but I did want to give you a chance to thank anyone that uh, either helps with the dogs on a day-to-day basis or with racing or any of your mentors along the way or anybody that you'd like to thank it's uh here's your chance yeah this is so great I mean obviously we've talked about Matt a lot and I couldn't do it without him and his support of this of this endeavor um but this year is the first year we've had a winter handler so um our handler Teresa has been with us this winter and her dog pencil and that she's been great and just jumping in you know the first year of having a handler is kind of like, I don't know what you should be doing. So she has been great at just riding the wave and camping at trailheads and running the old dogs. And she'll be with me on the race circuit this year. So you'll get to meet her and her dog pencil in, in, um, LaRange at Canadian Challenge. Um, I would also say my folks, they're always a huge supporter. Um, both they love to buy, you know, new harnesses and, and jackets for the dogs, but also my dad's been huge and he'll come out and, and help with any building project that that we need. So he helped build out the trailer when we when our team expanded. He helped came out this year and built a yurt with me um, for our handler to live in. So my parents obviously are are a big support. Um, and then our local friends here in the Sierra, um, our friend Michelle, Lynn, Jenna, Michael, they they pick up meat supplies for us. They sew collars. They do massage and physiotherapy with the dogs. Um, they definitely are a huge support system. Um, and then one, lad, one last thing is, and I'm going to call them, this sounds a little corny, but um, our bonus booty and bling buddies. Um, with this year, we had a lot of people reach out being like, can I buy a t-shirt? Or like, how can we support your your team this year? Um, and so what we ended up doing was we made some caricatures of some of the iconic 
dog faces in the yard and we sold dog face swag. So we put these faces on t-shirts and hoodies and people could buy them through our website. And in addition to that, they could add a bonus booty or a bonus bling, which would be a dog collar or a new um, a dog name tag that we need for races um, into their cart. And so we had a lot of friends and family buy gear and purchase bonus booties for the dogs. And I think it was just a really, really fun way to have friends and family involved with our with our fundraising, with our race effort, and and for them to, you know, have a little piece and to be sporting dog faces on on their clothes. And a lot of them will be at the start lines at various races this year. So it, it was just a really fun way. And, a, and we, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who kind of supported us this year through that endeavor. Well, that's excellent. And if you're still doing that, then people can find that uh, on your website, like you said, at rhymerpack.com. Yep. We're not doing clothing anymore, but we are still selling dog face stickers, which are really fun. So yeah, you can find that on our website. Great. Well, I really want to say thank you for taking the time to chat with us and share a little about your mushing background and get our great uh, you know, Canadian Challenge fans to learn more about you. Uh, you know, we're certainly looking forward to seeing you in February for the Six Dog 50-mile race between LaRange and Mississippi. You know, I think it's going to be a great one, you know, a very popular section mm-hmm. of trail. So, you know, should be should be great, you know. Um, as far as you said, cold, uh, we started the race last year at minus 37 or minus 38. Uh, that was the first day. And the last day, it was in the single digit minus on the Celsius side. So... <laughs> You never really know what we're going to get with the weather, so come prepared. Um, but really want to thank you for joining today um, and all of our fans for listening as well. Feel free to subscribe below. Uh, again, talking with Jessica Reimer from uh, Northern California in the Six Dog class uh, at the Canadian Challenge. So. No, I just, we're really excited to race the Canadian Challenge and to meet everyone out there. We'll have a lot of um family and friends that are at the start and finish line because we have a lot of family in Saskatchewan but um, we're looking forward to meeting a lot of the fans as well well like I said we're really looking forward to it too and appreciate your time as usual Uh, a special thank you to Robert Forto and his entire team at uh, Dogworks Radio and First Paw Media for allowing us to to be able to do this and share all this with you Uh, for today's episode thanks again until next time and goodbye from First Paw Media This is Canadian Challenge Tales. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you would give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe too. Your host is Dan Kirkup. Our executive producer is Robert Forto, created for First Paw Media. Retirement can be scary, but only if you're not prepared. That's why AARP created thisispretirement.org. Because unless you've already retired, you're in pretirement and you still have time to plan. Learn about retirement savings options, potential tax breaks, and how you can build savings over time. Visit thisispretirement.org for free resources to help you customize your action plan and feel the retirement fear disappear. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. 
At Jiffy Lube, it's our job to make car care make sense with personalized service reviews that swap the car talk for straight talk so you know what your car is telling you and what to do about it. Where highly trained service technicians have your back, helping you take care of the small stuff before it becomes big stuff. Plus a full range of services from Pennzoil oil changes and tire rotations to filters, wipers, and more. We've got what your car needs, so you're ready for whatever's next. Putting you in the driver's seat of car care, that's a job for Jiffy. Find a Pennzoil pouring service center near you at JiffyLube.com. 